Hi, you're listening to my mom, Kat Lee, on the Inspired to Action podcast. Hey, can I listen to it? Hey, my name is Kat Lee, and I want to welcome you to the Inspired to Action podcast. I hope this show is the pep talk that you need as a mom, a reminder that what you do every day is life-changing, and it matters more deeply than you could ever imagine. Out of all the women in the world, God chose you to be the mother of your children because you are special and amazing and he has called you and he will equip you. So thank you for serving your family, for loving your children fearlessly and for fighting to be a great mom. This episode is for you. Let's jump right in. Hey friends, this is Kat Lee and today we're talking with Lisa Joe Baker about friendships. Before we get into that, though, I have two announcements for you. One, at the end of this podcast, you're going to hear a challenge. I totally throw down the gauntlet and I issue a challenge because this is the Inspired Action Podcast, not the Inspired to Think About It podcast. So listen for that. And I want to note that my Instagram name has changed. It was Inspired to Action and now it's The Cat Lee kind of fun, kind of rhymes. But when I throw down the challenge, I want you to remember that so you know how to tag me on Instagram so you can be eligible to win the free giveaway that I'm doing today. The second announcement is that y'all summer is coming. Do you have books ready for your kids to read this summer? Because books are an amazing way for them to stay engaged and to continue to learn over the summer. If you go to inspiredtoaction.com forward slash books, you can see a list of some of our family's favorites. All right, let's jump into the chat today with Lisa Joe Baker. Thank you for tuning into the Inspired to Action podcast. Today we have Lisa Joe, and we're going to talk about friendships. Um, and so, Lisa, before we really kind of dive into the, the whole topic, I would love for you to just tell everybody a little bit about you and your family. Oh, I'd love to. So we have three kids, two boys and a girl, 11, 9, and 6. And we are emerging into the second stage of parenting where you sleep again. <laughs> and it is amazing. I feel like last time you and I chatted, Kat, I was probably like deep in the trenches of sleep deprivation and feeling like I'd never get my life or my space back. But I'm telling you, it's magical. Like this year, my husband and I keep looking at each other and just saying, we've arrived. Like we survived. It's so amazing. So to younger moms listening, I mean, it is so amazing. Sometimes on a Sunday morning, your kids will let you sleep in and get themselves breakfast. Like it's Mm -hmm. wild. It's wild. So anyway, three kids, we live just outside of Washington, DC on the Maryland side. And um, I write books. I kind of consider myself a bit of an accidental writer. I never aspired to be a writer, but here I am nonetheless. Um, And for the last seven years, I have been the community manager for the online website Encourage. And we spell that with an I, I I-N-Courage.me. And it is just a gathering place for women from all all over the globe, and they come and share their stories of what we call everyday faith. So not your Sunday best faith, not your Bible study faith, but you know your everyday dirty dishes, crazy kids, feel like you're losing your mind sometimes faith are the stories that we share over there. So I have been able to serve the women there for seven years. That's so crazy. Wow. The last seven years. And um, which means really that I've had this amazing, unique opportunity to participate in hundreds and hundreds of conversations with women about women and about friendship and about our fears and our hopes um, and what we long for in friendships. And so that is really how this book was born. 
I love it. And, you know, just for those listening who might be very astute, every now and then you say something differently than perhaps they say it. So do you want to tell them why? Sure. So I'm from South Africa originally. So if you hear an accent, it's me. It's not you. But I have lived all over. um, So my accent is confused and it tends to morph depending on who I'm speaking to at the moment. But I'm told my A's, so in can and can't and talk, still sound South African. Yes, they do. Kind of like I'm faking it every now and again. My children will say, Mom, that is not how you say that word. I love it. Uh, Okay, so you've written a book called Never Unfriended. And I just feel like we are in this phase of the world. I don't know what you'd call it, this phase of time when friendships are a little interesting because there's online friendships. There's real life friendships. We're busier than ever. We are less connected than ever in terms of, you know, family and and living near our family or living near people that we've known because people move so much. What inspired you to, to write this book and to talk about friendship? You know, I think mainly since I've spent seven years hanging out with women talking about friendship, I realized that it really is one of our core values and not just values, but needs. We need it in our life. And yet it also seems to be a core source of stress and anxiety. And so I wanted to dig into that a little bit to understand, really, I had two big, three big questions. What are we afraid of when it comes to friendships? What can't we do about it? Because there's some things you actually can't change, right? We tend to think we can fix everything, but some things we can't fix. And then what can we do about it? I wanted to understand that. And so in a culture especially where we can now unfriend each other with the swipe of a finger, um, what does that mean for us in terms of our relationship dynamics? And then what does Jesus have to say about it? So that kind of was my point of entry. So what are some of the answers to those questions? What What is it that we're afraid of when it comes to friendship? I think there are a lot of things. I think there are a lot of things that live under the big rock of fear that crawl out when you lift the rock up and pay attention. But I, I focused in on three particular things. I think women are you know, particularly afraid of being hurt and not just hurt, but hurt again. You know, I think there's a reason at the playground that our kids are instantly best friends with the kid they've never met before, but the moms are sitting on opposite park Mm. benches. It's hard to just initiate a friendship right away because the older you get, you don't just collect pounds and gray hair, you collect scars from things that have gone wrong. So I think this fear of being hurt again, I think we all struggle with a little bit of friendship PTSD. And then, um, the fear of missing out, we all know FOMO, we talk about it online all the time. You know, that plays out in our real life dynamics as well, whether it's our church group or our Bible study or a PTA. We can all struggle with FOMO and feeling like we're on the outside. And then I think there's really a fear, no matter how old you are, of being the new girl or of including the new girl. That weird sort of dance you have to do when you're at a new school or a new church or a new job or a new group of friends. How do you do that sort of sideways shuffle to join in a group that have known each other for years. Yeah, that sounds that actually hits home a little bit with a certain I have to be so careful. Let's see with a certain area of my life uh, Mm. where a lot of the people are interconnected with one another um, because they go to church together and then I go to a different church. And I definitely feel like the new girl, the one that doesn't quite fit in. And, And I've been around them for years and years and years, but it always feels 
awkward. Like I'm the freshman with all the seniors. Right. (laughs) And so breaking through that is a little bit hard. So what I would love to hear about from you, though, right now is I want to hear about your friends. Tell me a little bit about the people who have shaped your friendship journey. Well, I, like most people these days, I think, have friends that I know from online, and I have deep friendships with them, and it's wonderful to have those because they understand this unique world that we live in if we're writers or bloggers in the online space. But several years ago, God really challenged me about who are the people in your real life, your real life community that you do life with. And at the time I was a new girl, we were going to a new church. We had just moved to Virginia from Michigan and we'd been there for about a year, um, but I did not have any close friendships yet. And um, during that very awkward part of the church service, you know, where they say, turn and greet your neighbor, say hello. It's yes. like, we well, just want to die on the inside. And um, during that time, I had, I didn't know anyone. Like every time it was awkward, right? And so I would greet my family and my husband and my children. Um, but during that time is when God brought to mind something that had happened several weeks back. I had received in the mail a Bible study leaders kit just as a promotional thing. And it was perfect for resting my feet on under my desk whilst writing about community. It was just the right height. I'm not even kidding you to rest my feet on. It never occurred to me to open that Bible study and do it with people until one day I was in the meet and greet at church. And as much as you could imagine the Holy Spirit may be talking to you, I felt like I heard him say, Bible study leaders kit. And I was like, oh, so I walked up to this girl. Her name is Laura. And she's a quite like about a decade younger than me, new mom. And I remembered how like she'd mentioned in passing one time how she wished she had more female mentors or role, role models in her life. And so I walked up to her just literally because I felt like the Holy Spirit shoved me. I, I said, hey, Laura, I got this Bible study kit in the mail. I don't know. Is that something you'd ever be interested in? And I was horrified because she said yes. And then I got <laughs> because she invited a whole bunch of other people And we ended up having like 17 people come the first night. And it's weird. You can be the leader of something and still feel Mm -hmm. like you're left out and you don't know anybody. Mm -hmm. So I'd only been at the church for a year. There are women there who'd known each other for 17 years. And what I came to learn is that everybody is the new girl sometimes. And there were people in that group who had never connected at a deeper level had never had real conversations with each other. And so that is how my real life community started when we moved to Virginia. It was incredibly awkward. Uh, It's basically like trying to somehow speed date a bunch of women at one time. Um, But that's how it started. We met on Tuesday nights. And seven years later, we still call each other the Tuesday night girls. Even when that Bible study ended, we continued meeting, usually at Panera. Um, And even now that I've moved away and several others have moved out of state, we have a Voxer group called the Mm -hmm. Tuesday night girls where we stay in touch. So they are my real life people. They know everything about me. They have seen my house at every level of chaos. They have helped fold underwear at my house. They know what I do. They know about my writing. And um, I heard Sean and Equist say this once. It's such a great comfort. They are utterly unimpressed by me, mm. you know, in the most comfortable way. And so I feel safe with them. They are my people, people. And they're my Tuesday night girls because I finally took the first step towards someone else and uh, did the awkward new girl dance. And somebody said yes. I love that. I love that. 
So have you found in that journey of seven years of friendship that the relationships have ebbed and flowed? And how do you press back in when you feel like it's Wait, actually, I'm like, which one is which? Ebbing. Is ebbing going away? (laughs) It's like a great phrase that goes together, but um, which one is which? What does it mean, actually? Yeah. (laughs) Now, we should ask like a fifth grader. They'd probably be able to (laughs) tell us from their science (laughs) class. Um, Yeah, I think that all friendships alike, keeping plants alive, require work. You know, I'm always like, why did these stupid plants die? Oh, wait, I didn't water them. They didn't have sunshine. I didn't have them in the right spot in my house. Friendships are the same. We tend to think we can coast on them, but we we can't. They take work and they take intentionality and they take commitment, which is why I think the Facebook definition of friendship is wrong. Uh, It's not like about how many friends you have. I think real friendship is how deep you go with the friends you have. Mm -hmm. And so in that case, you can't really go that deep with a ton of people. You can only do it with a smaller group. So for me, that has really required showing up, like doing, I love what, um, I love that Jesus's brother, James, who wrote the book of James, um, in the message translation, when he's talking about community, he actually calls it, I'm not joking you, the hard work of getting along. And I find that really comforting that he acknowledges it will both be hard and take work. And it just does. And so we put in the time, we invest the time and we show up and we have hard and awkward conversations. I've probably had those with all of them at some point about something, but it's being willing to have those conversations that keeps the friendship going, right? Because mm-hmm. I think what often happens in our society today is, oh, there's a bit of awkwardness. Okay, I'm just going to avoid that because it feels weird. And I'm going to scroll by her Facebook statuses until suddenly you're not talking anymore. And now it's been months and you're not even sure why. So um, intentionality and being willing to talk about hard things really has been the bread and butter of those friendships. Well, and I I bet, too, like how you initially just were vulnerable and stepped out and asked. I found that in my friendships as well, that sometimes, you know what, it feels a little awkward that I haven't, you know, initiated getting together or doing something in a long time. But I'm just going to I'm just going to do that, you know, because in our heads, we can build up this wall of, oh, they have 100 million other friends that they would rather hang right. out with or, right. oh, they're too busy or, oh, I really annoy them or, you know, whatever it is. And actually, they're on the other side of that thinking the exact same thing. Right. I mean, friendship absolutely takes showing up. I mm-hmm. think that's one of the most defining qualities about it. And I love that when they describe Jesus coming to earth, um, the one of the phrases used in scripture is that he moved into the neighborhood. And I love that about him. Isn't that great? Like, mm-hmm. that's not just a distant God on his throne. Like, he moved into the neighborhood. Moving is awkward. You have boxes and movers, and you don't know people yet, and you don't know the routines of the neighborhood. And he did that. Jesus did that, and he models for us that that's what friendship takes. And so honestly, my very best real life friend, her name is Lisa as well. Same as mine, which is funny. Um, But her phone number is in my phone under her daughter's name because her daughter and my son were in kindergarten together and now they're in fifth grade. And in kindergarten, I heard, I kept hearing about this kid called Morgan and um, we were both at some back to school night. And so I walked up to Morgan's mom and said, hey, you must be Morgan's mom. I'm Jackson's mom. They talk about each each other all the time. And it was kind of like that awkward getting to know you thing. But But being willing to initiate, to show up, to move into the neighborhood, metaphorically speaking, um, she and I, seven years later, she's my closest friend, and her phone number is still under my phone in her daughter's (laughs) name. (laughs) I love how kids can really bring 
parents oh, together absolutely. as well. Yeah, yeah. They're a wonderful, wonderful way to have an in. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you're obviously the playground, you know, is a place where you can go and meet other moms and, and develop friendships. But, you know, if you connect with the mom, you can just get your kids together. <laughs> if you're feeling right. awkward about, right. hey, let's go out for coffee, if that feels a little awkward. Hey, let's get our families together. Let's get our right. kids let's together. Play dates. Mm-hmm. play dates are a gateway to friendship. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So what are some of the the obstacles that you see that women have in building friendships? You know, I think there are two, there are many, but two really big ones, because I think they are a bit of our reflex when it comes to friendship. And I don't know if we realize how much we're throwing up a roadblock when we say these two things. Here they are. The one thing is people will ask us, so how are you doing? And then we say, fine, I'm fine. I'm fine. Right. So the problem with that is once you say I'm fine, it's the end of the conversation. There's really not much more you can say to each other after that, right? But if you're willing to say how you are actually doing, like this morning was terrible, my kid melted down, we were late for school, and he has a tardy note, and it's like day three of the school year, that will take someone by surprise, but it will also open a door into a potential conversation where they get to share how they are really doing. So being willing to be what I call unfine is a gift to someone. It's the gift of going first so that they don't feel like, oh, um, she's got it all together. Instead, they can feel like, oh my gosh, I'm normal because my life is just as crazy as hers. So fine is the first one. The second thing we tend to say is, I'm so busy. How are you? I'm so busy. Well, the problem with that is if you are busy, then your friends feel like they don't want to bother you with what's really happening to them. They don't want to go there. They don't want to take up your time. They feel like maybe they're an inconvenience to you. And you might not be feeling that way at all, right? But once they understand this impression of busyness, it's hard to go past busyness and share unfine. So for me, I have tried ruthlessly to cut those out of my vocabulary when I'm dealing with my close friends, that I want them to know I'm available. I'm not busy. I'm here. I'm available. I want to talk to you. Come into my house and take time. You know, let's push pause. Let's do more than 140 characters. Like, let's actually talk to each other. That's so good. I love that because I have a friend of mine who is a lot more vulnerable than I tend to be. And mm-hmm. occasionally we'll be some, you know, we'll be maybe in a, a small group setting or just with a few friends or whatnot. And she'll say something and I'm like, oh, wow, that was really vulnerable. <laughs> and yeah. and it ends up being kind of the glue. Like it, it opens right. something that everybody else shares. It opens something so that further on in the friendship or um, later on down the road at some other get together or something, there's this connection that I feel mm-hmm. because you know, she's been vulnerable and then I've been vulnerable. And it just is like this glue, I think, between people when we're when we're willing to step out, when we're willing to be a little bit vulnerable, a little bit open about how we're really actually doing and not just doing the the fine thing. And, you know, that opens us up for people not handling that well sometimes. Right. Right. I like how you describe it as the glue, though, because I think that's exactly right. It is the glue that holds us together. And it's also an invitation to somebody else to share, too. Um, I think it's pretty rare, though, for people, especially women, not to receive vulnerability well. Mm-hmm. I think that vulnerability is so endearing um, that most women are pretty surprised to be trusted with it and treat it well, in my experience, at least. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it, it really is a gift that we give each other, being willing to be vulnerable to that degree. Yeah. 
I, I actually had a situation recently that was um, sort of a challenging situation and required me to ask for prayer. And I was more vulnerable than, about this certain thing than I'd ever been before. And I, well, I used Voxer, but um, because one of the friends actually lives on the other side of the world. And so I shared this thing with her and then I, I shared um, with a couple other people and it was just the most wonderful bonding thing. It was scary for me to share it, especially on Voxer because you don't see people's facial reactions. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you have to wait yeah. for their response, especially when they're on, they're on the other side of the world. But to know that they were walking through that journey with me and mm-hmm. for them to know that I was entrusting this information to them, that I wasn't entrusting to anybody else. It just, you know, it's like this, it made them feel special. It made me feel loved and cared for and surrounded in the journey. And uh, it's, it's a terrifying thing to do, I think, to be vulnerable. But I think there are a few things that invest in friendship more deeply. Oh, I love that. I love that. Yeah, because vulnerability doesn't always just have to be with our hard things that we're sharing. It could be with things we're really excited about that we're telling our friends. And I mm-hmm. think there's something to be said for that. Like we really do meet God together when we share our sadness and our celebration with our friends, when we invite them into that. It just feels like the most intimate, radical thing we can do for our friends is showing up in that way. Mm -hmm. And I love because all throughout scripture, when you see Jesus's interactions with people, they're constantly bringing him their deepest vulnerabilities, right? Like they're not afraid to tell him how they really feel. And I I love that about Mary and Martha, because this is just that scene where they do with Jesus what you did with your friends and what we are encouraging women to do. I mean, when Lazarus dies and they're so disappointed in Jesus, they tell him to his face, if you had been here, he would be alive. I mean, that level of disappointment in a friend and vulnerability, but also trust that they knew they could trust him with all of that pain, Mm -hmm. that he was a safe place to take it, that he wouldn't blow it off. And he goes there, like he meets them at that place. He's devastated too. He tells them how, you know, he, he tells them what he is giving them, that he is the life. He is the resurrection. He is what they can hope for. And then, of course, he literally raises Lazarus from the dead. But to me, when I think about them just purely on the friendship basis, that is some serious friendship currency, that they could bring that accusation to him and not be afraid to share it, and that he entered right into their grief with them. And Mm -hmm. I think that should encourage us that, yes, our friends are the places we take all of it, the hard, the good, the bad, the ugly, the sadness. Can we trust our friends with it? And you're right. I mean, it's not like we're going to tell the person we just met at the PTA meeting, all of those things. But once friendship has grown and deepened and trust has been invested, yeah, then those become the people that are like Jesus with skin on that we can take all that to. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, one other thing that, uh, well, I like what you said there first about, you know, we don't necessarily share right away with the person we just met at the PTA, but people that we've had lifelong friendships with. You know, in this world, I think of social media and the Internet and being able to connect with people that maybe understand us exactly. I wonder if we've at any level devalued the people who may not uh, know our life experience per se. So, for example, uh, writing or Mm. book writing. So I have a group of friends online uh, that I talk to pretty much every day on Voxer uh, about the book writing experience, about doing stuff online. And then I have real life friends who aren't interested in that sort of thing at all and don't necessarily understand the ins and outs of what I'm experiencing. 
And so it would be our natural tendency that we would maybe gravitate towards the people that understand our situation, that that Mm -hmm. are walking through the same journey as us. But as I've gone through this process and I've tried to share a lot with those real-life in-person friends who know me, that has been so powerful because I, you know, as they've prayed for me in different seasons, God has just given them a wonderful insight into the different things that I need. And and, and so I guess the encouragement that I want to give everyone listening is that maybe it's easy to fracture our friendships um, and, and, and what we share with the different people because there's so many different relationships that we can have online. Uh, um, on Facebook, we can have our old high school friends or wherever, but it's, so it's start easy to stop sharing, I think, what we're really going through every day with the people in our everyday lives that might not um, have the exact same experience. And so what would you say to, I guess, the fracturing of friendships that we can have, being drawn to the easy online relationships versus the harder in-person relationships, um, or the people that have known us for a long time, or this is the people in person, if we're new to a town, that have known us for a, a short period of time. How has the internet kind of pulled those things apart? And how? what would you say to, I don't know, dealing with that, I guess? Yeah, that's such a great observation, because I think you're exactly right. We have these pockets of friends, and we share pockets of our lives with each of them, but nobody is getting the whole picture. I think we need whole picture friends. <laughs> and I think if they're our friends, they want to know the whole picture, and and we want to know the whole picture about them, right? And so it just takes intentionality to deliberately share those parts of your life, to be willing to invite them in, to open the door and let them in. So I have the same story. My Tuesday night girls are not online. They're not bloggers or writers, but they love me. And so they know writing is a big part of what I do. So I share it with them and I get the benefit of a perspective that's very different than what I'm getting from online. And so it's a gift. It's really a gift. And at the same, you know, by the same way, I want to be sure that I'm interested and invested in listening to every part of their lives, that the whole piece of it, we are sharing together, that we truly are doing life together. So online can only take you so far. I mean, it really can only go so far until those relationships spill over into real life. So the real life friendships are the ones that I have to be intentional with to invite them into the nooks and crannies of my life and not feel like they're parts I want to exclude or that they won't get. I don't want to make those assumptions about my friends. Mm-hmm. So one last question that I have for you here is, how can we um, how can we invest in the friends? So you said you have some friends that you've had since you grew up in South Africa. Is that right? Yes, but those friendships, of course, are not all going to be the same as the ones who live here next door to me and have watched me raise my kids. Right, <laughs> right, sadly, right. There's an ocean between us. How do you stay connected with them? And do you still? Yeah, well... I'll say this. I believe in guilt-free friendship. I think that's really important. So a friendship that is already struggling because you live so far away from each other, you will just kill it if when that person finally reaches out, you then lecture them on how long it's been since you heard from Mm. them. It's just impossible. So we give the gift of grace and the benefit of the doubt to each other. And so I probably have two friends from South Africa that I've known like since I was six. It's crazy. And um, we do. We email, but very sporadically. But the beauty of those friendships is because we've known each other so long and have shared so many parts of our life that because we don't guilt each other when we see each other again we can just pick up where we left off i mean every time i go home i see my friend dorothy and we get together and we have coffee and tea and our children have aged like three years but we're able to pick up where we left off because it's a currency that we just 
we invest trust into and guilt-free friendship. If friendship constantly has to be told off or lectured or um, criticized, it can't survive. Friendship cannot survive an atmosphere of control. And so I often say I want friendships that are less like skinny jeans and more like sweatpants. You know, I want friendships that leave room to breathe, that recognize there's an ebb and flow, that know that what a mom goes through in the early years mean that she has much less time to connect with her friends. And so there are seasons where we don't talk for months and months at a time, but but because I'm constantly and totally committed to believing the best of my friends and giving them the benefit of the doubt, when we pick up that friendship again, it feels like no time has passed. Oh, I love that. I feel that way as well. I live in uh, the town. I can't see where I grew up, but where I went to college. So I'm old enough now that that's just about when I, where I grew up. Uh, but I've lived here um, for the most part. We moved away for a couple of years for the most part since I was just turned 18. Wow. And so like my friends, my daughters have sleepovers at the daughters of my college friends. Wow, that's awesome. And we, my husband works from home. Obviously, I work from home. We could technically live anywhere. And maybe, you know, he could have a better job or he could do something different or whatever somewhere else. Uh, although he loves his job. But um we have a different circumstance somewhere else, but we choose Waco, Texas because of the friendships. That's really entirely why we lived here. We actually moved here, not sure we were going to have a job for more than six months, and I was pregnant with our first child. Wow. But, but because of the friendships that we had here, we were like, wow, we love this place. We love our church. Um, and we love the relationships. And um, we don't necessarily live near family, but we have friends that feel like family because we've known them more than half our lives. And it, honestly, it just feels rich. We don't live in some fancy big city or, you know, in some, well, I guess Waco is now actually kind of cool. But <laughs> you, and, you and Joanna Gaines. Right, <laughs> right. But it didn't used to be cool. But we chose Waco because of the relationships and because of the friendships. And it honestly, it makes us feel so so wealthy in the sense of I know that it's rare to have friends that we've known for so long and so deeply. And, and, um, and so I, I just want to encourage just everybody listening that friendship is worth investing in. Um, and, and again, even with friendships that we've had for a long time, they all ebb and flow. Uh, but just the history and keeping friendships alive is so powerful. So what are some ways that you have kept those friendships alive and that you've helped friendships kind of go to the next level? Cause that's sort of a scary thing too, to, to be like, Oh, we kind of sometimes go out for coffee, but um, I really want to be a little bit more vulnerable or, or, or journey together to learn something. How do you take friendships to the next level and keep them going? Well, you know, I talked about this phrase, giving our friends the benefit of the doubt. And to me, that has been, really core to taking friendship to the next level and trusting our friends. I don't know about you, Kat, but there is a voice inside my head that tells me crazy things sometimes about what it thinks other people are saying or thinking or doing about me. Mm -hmm. And if I believe that voice, if I give that voice the benefit of the doubt, I'm in a really dangerous place because I can have like entire arguments in my head with people. <laughs> okay. Like the person hasn't done or said anything like what's happening in my head, but maybe some small slight happened. 
I was overlooked in some invitation or I saw something on Instagram that they were doing that I wasn't invited to. And if I'm not careful, I literally will wake up at four in the morning and basically I'm convinced now that they hate me. They hate my children. Like we're doomed to be enemies for life. Like that's crazy. And I cannot let that voice be the boss of me is what I've learned. And as believers, I remind myself that the person that's the boss of me is the Holy Spirit, right? And so I am committed to giving my friends the benefit of the doubt. And that shows up in a million different little ways about that call that wasn't returned or that email that didn't get back to you or that invitation that you didn't get. Instead of taking offense at all of those things, if I'm giving my friend the benefit of the doubt, then I'm knowing that there's some reason for that. Or I'm going to go and have a rational conversation with her at some point and hear her side of the story. And I love how Brene Brown has taught us now in our culture this idea of what is the story I'm making up in my head. And so I will now be able to go to my friend Lisa, who maybe hasn't responded to a text message or I haven't heard from her for a couple days and say, hey, man, the story I'm making up in my head is that you've moved on. We don't live close anymore. Like, you know, I don't know what's happening with you. And then she's able to say, hi, crazy person. Like, <laughs> I went back to school to become a teacher. I student teach and work full time and have two children. Like, it's not about you always. So giving our friends the benefit of the doubt is a very powerful gift. And, some, and it will cost us. Sometimes it will be painful. Um, and sometimes Sometimes it requires talking to other friends to make sure that you are making sense, that you can trust yourself and what you're thinking and what you're taking out of the dynamic. But I do think it's one of the things that gives friendships longevity, it gives them a chance mm-hmm. if we're willing to do that on a regular basis. You mentioned Instagram, uh, and I think this could be true of Facebook or whatever social media platform. Is there anything in particular you do when you see the picture of a fun get together that you weren't invited to. How do you just in even in your heart, not necessarily even in the relationship, how do you respond to that? Because no matter if we're 12 or 42, that's not always a great feeling. No. And I wish it was as simple as saying, just take Instagram off your phone. But I don't believe that it is. (laughs) You know, I so I, I wish I had a short answer for you. I'll try with the short answer first is I feel in that moment like I have experienced a drive by comparison shooting like I wasn't expecting it. I was going along with my business. I was fine and happy. And then suddenly like, bam, 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 I saw this thing. And I'm feeling now disgruntled and left out and FOMO and insecure and many other feelings that are not fun to have. And I'm 42, so it's embarrassing that I have those feelings that I had when I was in middle school still. So I'll just recognize I have that feeling. And then I tell myself now, you have just experienced a drive-by comparison shooting. (laughs) I mean, I actually say that. Like, that is not just accidental. Like, the enemy has taken a shot at you in this moment. It's not my friend. She didn't do something wrong. But the enemy is trying in this moment to get me. And here's what I realized. I actually, I wrote a whole chapter on this in the book because it took me that long to figure it out. I don't need to take Instagram off my phone. I don't need new friendships. What I need is a heart transplant. My heart is so crippled and envious and crooked and believes all the wrong things and sells its other sells itself lies. I mean, scripture tells us the heart is more deceitful than anything else. Nobody will lie to me as much as I will lie to myself. And I need a heart transplant. I need Jesus's heart. I need to ask him, take out this decrepit organ of mine that constantly wants something it's 
not entitled to you. And give me your heart. Give me your beating, other-centered, beautiful, friendship-focused heart. And then it's up to me, what will I do so that that heart will take? And my dad was a doctor, is a doctor in South Africa. And he actually, fun fact, participated in the first open-heart transplant um, surgery that happened. Dr. Chris Bernard in Cape Town was the Hmm. first doctor to successfully do one. And by participated, I mean, he was part of all the grunt work for months and months and months leading up to the actual surgery. So they did all these open heart transplants on pigs to practice before they did it on a human. So he wasn't there for the final surgery because he was just a resident. He was there for the grunt work. But why am I telling you this? This is why. It's not the heart transplant itself that's the most risky. It's actually whether or not the body will accept the heart. They call this host versus graft disease. Will the body accept this foreign organ? And I've thought about that a lot. It's not enough just for Jesus to give us his heart, which is what he says he will do. I will put a new heart in you. I will take out your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, is what scripture says. I am then responsible for what I do to help his heart take. What do I bring into what Tim Keller calls the hallowed place? And I think that We were born to worship a God, but instead we worship at the altar of inclusion. And so every time I feel that tweak in my heart when I look at Instagram, I have to remind myself, no, Jesus has given me a new heart and I need to surround that heart with his messages, with his Holy Spirit, with submission to him, with recognizing that the only thing, the only way I can have this heart keep living is if I take my identity and my worth from Christ. So I know this was a long, somewhat churchy answer to say that that yes, drive-by comparison shootings will happen, but the only way we become protected against them is by leaning into the heartbeat of Christ that is Mm. completely others-focused and at the same time completely certain that he is obsessed with hearing from me. Jesus loves me. I can never ask him enough to validate me. You know, mm-hmm. I can go to him with all of my insecurity and he will be delighted to pour into me. So if I take my identity from his scripture instead of from Instagram, I have much better protection against those drive-by comparison shootings. Oh, that's so good. Because I know that everyone listening deals with that. Oh, well, okay. I can't say that. Some of you might not be on social media, so maybe you don't, but you've, you've been somewhere where somebody's talked about an event or something. We've all experienced that. And it's not something that, you know, going off Facebook or going off social media is going to fix. It's something that's deeper and truer. And I love that you went right to the literal heart. <laughs> I wasn't even trying to do a pun there. Um, Okay, so just to kind of wrap up our time together. So the mom, you know, everybody listening right now, maybe about to take their headphones off. What can they do today as they dive back into their day to invest in a friendship? What is one small practical thing that they could do today? Ooh, I love that. Okay, here it is. In scripture, there are many of what I think we think are romantic notions. Here's one of them. Lay down your life for your friends is what Jesus says. No greater love have anyone than to lay down his life for his friends. Well, then I'm like, you know what? It's Wednesday, I'm dealing with kids and homework. That's nice that Jesus said that, but I'm not like actually going to die for someone today. What? How does that even affect me on a Wednesday? But here's how. I think that there are a million real ways we can die for our friends by being inconvenienced, by dropping off food, by watching their kid after school, by picking up that kid from the bus stop, by opening the front door to that neighbor kid you didn't really feel like having over today. I think that there are a million, million 
ways that we can literally die to ourselves, to the things that we want today, the things that we want to put first, the ways we don't want to be inconvenienced by simply saying yes to somebody else today in your everyday life. So for me, often that looks like picking up an extra kid at the bus stop and having them hang out at my house because their mom is working, you know, like it's not always convenient for me, but I actually think those are examples of what it means to lay down our lives for our friends. So Mm -hmm. look around, who do you have to pick up at the bus stop? Who can you pick up an extra coffee for? What mom would really appreciate it if you were to bring extra snacks so she didn't have to to whatever thing is happening in the classroom. There are a million ways that we can die to ourselves and lay our lives down for our friends if we're just willing to look. Okay, that's awesome. And so y'all, this is going to about to get super real because this is called the Inspired to Action podcast, not the Inspired to Think About It podcast. (laughs) So what we're going to do right now is we're going to take 10 seconds. I'm going to actually be quiet and you're going to think of one thing you can do for someone. And then you're going to do that thing. And then you can either tell me about it, tag me on Instagram, or you can send me an email or however you want to get in touch with me. And then I'm going to give away my copy of Lisa's book to you, to somebody who actually does something. So we're going to count to 10 in my head, and then we're going to start back up. What's one thing you can do today to invest in a friend? Okay, I hope that was enough time because I can't stand awkward (laughs) silence. But so I double dog dare y'all to go and invest in a friend today. I hope you've learned so much from Lisa. And I love this topic. I just think friendship is one of the most valuable things that we can have. And it is worth being vulnerable. It is worth investing in. It is worth the time and the sacrifice. And uh, Lisa, where can people go to find more out about you and about your book and about Encourage? I will give you a one-stop shop. You can go to neverunfriended.com and you'll find out about the book, about me, about awesome and amazing pre-order gifts if you order before April 4th and links over to Encourage. So neverunfriended.com. Yeah, if you go there, you get awesome. I didn't even I sounded like I was from Boston. I was trying to cover <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> I was trying to cover your accent and failed. All right. All right. Thank you so much for joining us today, Lisa Joe. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Kat. Well, that's all that we have for today's episode of the Inspired to Action podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to listen. I know that there are a million things that you could be doing right now, and I hope that this episode has encouraged you. You know, if you have any questions or suggestions for me, just head over to inspiredtoaction.com and click the contact button to send me an email. I would love to hear from you, and I would love to do whatever I can to get the resources that you need to keep growing as a mom. And if you enjoyed this podcast, it would be awesome if you would take a minute to rate it on iTunes. That's going to help more moms to find it and get the encouragement that they need. And as always, you can check out all the show notes for this session at inspiredtoaction.com. And you can also download any of our free ebooks or our free prayer calendars for moms at the blog. Just go to inspiredtoaction.com and click on the resources link. And my name is Kat Lee, and I wish you an incredible day with your family. And remember, you're a mom. You're kind of a big deal. Now go be awesome. It's early in the morning, the house is quiet. But I've set aside this time for you. I bow before the throne of a noble king. And in this place, my heart begins to sing. 
gonna be a good day, a good day filled with His grace, His grace and sweet new mercy. May my thoughts obey Jesus to walk in His way. Good day.